Welcome everybody to the, the P1 podcast. Uh, today's episode is going to focus uh, a lot more on technology maybe than we have in the past. And so today we have two guests uh, who were developers on Platform One uh, from the beginning and for, for quite some longevity as well. Uh, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We'll start with uh, Justin Lowry or as he goes by JLo. Yep. Hi, Justin Lowry here. So my recent con convert to DevSecOps before Platform One and mostly focused on pipelines while I was there. And then we have uh, Josh Wolf. Hey everyone, uh, Josh Wolf. As Austin said, he's been here from what feels like the beginning. So before in the space camp days, but I had my hands in everything, which was super fun and super challenging. I'm sure we'll get into. Awesome, thanks for the intros guys. Kind of quick question to, to hit us off here maybe. Uh, so what, what brought you to, let's say space camp, because I know you were both there. I remember when we were a three-man team. Uh, so what brought you to space camp? What made you love it? And as we transitioned to the platform one and, and kind of what made you stick around? Man, it was really just like right place, right time. So I had just moved out to Colorado Springs and had a gig doing container stuff. And space camp at the time was some hotness that I remember Rob trying to convince people this was going to be the way of DevSecOps in the government. And of course, nobody believed him. So I remember first day on platform one, or sorry, first day on space camp, just got thrown into a room of no carpet, maybe some computers on a desk, and we were told to go do good things. Fast forward a year later, space camp had become like the first or the second organization, I think, in the Air Force to achieve a continuous ATO. And that kicked off into what turned into platform one. What made me stick around, though, was almost certainly the people and the environment. It's very rarely like with a government work that you find the right people, the right mission at the right time. And for some reason, Platform One just happened to be that. Not only was the technology cool, we were kind of, when it comes to government work, it was definitely cutting edge. Like people were still trying to figure out what containers were, even though this is still a couple of years into the revolution of containers. Not only were we doing that, but we were orchestrating them with Kubernetes. Like it sounds so simple now, but back then it was like, oh my gosh, you get to do this instead of Docker. That's awesome. Um, but then the people, which I'm sure we'll get into, everyone there is looking for a challenge and just looking to do good stuff that makes an impact. Yeah, for me, it was a somewhat same scenario. I just recently moved to Colorado Springs on a separate contract that was doing something very similar to Space Camp, literally working in the building across on Calus campus from Space Camp when the government finally realized they were doing the same effort with two different groups. 50 feet apart. So they merged us. Space Camp was definitely culturally different from the contract I was on. So it was, I was, once I got in and saw things were, how things were working, like Josh mentioned, the people, the environment, and the culture, it was an instant click. I was like, yeah, this, this makes sense. After working in the government for almost a decade and working on a lot of legacy and outdated software, you know, getting to play with this new technology, cutting edge and helping bring it to the government was a great interest and that hooked me on space camp and kept me around for the p1 days as well um the second question i want to get into before we dive into the tech maybe is a little bit about scale and mission since you both mentioned it i always find it interesting as we kind of ballooned as an organization you you say one thing in one area and then like six degrees of separation later the telephone gain happens and like it's interesting to see what people actually hear from wherever they're at in the organization maybe we'll start with jlo this time just want to hear from you what do you what do you think the outcome is that we were trying to achieve at platform one along the way right like what what was it we were trying to accomplish from my point of view i felt like we were trying to be a lot more agile <laughs> you know instead of that kind of 
legacy bureaucracy kind of way the government does things you know uh, you have to get like so many approval before you can do anything and then you're sitting around the developers waiting months to actually get their hands on the latest technology i was hoping or i thought platform one was just going to do away with all that red tape and you know get us on another cringe word fast track and get the technology get it approved get it in and get it in into the hands of the people who could use it and and make a difference I mean, really just echoing that, like from day one, space camp day one days, well, maybe not day one, because it did change a couple of times, but the recurring theme was always busting through these government bureaucratic barriers in order to deliver software to more fighters faster, right? Like that was always like at the back of everyone's head. And it was a cool mission that everyone thought they were doing. And to many extents, like we were, we had like the perfect concoction of leadership that went all the way up the chain that was willing to invest in people that were willing to kind of break rules and move fast, which doesn't exist often in the type of government contracting work that you get to do. And for a while, we did awesome. Like, that's what Platform One did. That's what, or sorry, that's what Space Camp did with the CATO. Uh, like, what organization can achieve that in months of existence? We scaled faster and got more people. That comes with more eyes, <laughs> and that comes with more red tape. And I think over time, like, the level of barriers that we were able to break through kind of diminished with how many eyes were on the organization but i still think it's like people are still trying their best to achieve that end goal right yeah one of my favorite things about the early days uh, and thanks to l david marquet and his book on turn the ship around how to turn followers into leaders for the three magic words that i used as a product manager that austin and rob probably didn't realize was me implicitly giving them the accountability uh, but I would also run around saying, I intend to do this. If you don't stop me, then, hey, congrats. That's what we're going to go do as the team. Uh, and I think kind of embodying that and making sure that that was the vibe around the entire organization was one of the things that helped us break through some of those barriers. Because even like the contractor team, right, we had such a great relationship with the government team that I could say those words and they'd be like, absolutely, I trust you go do. And if somebody yells, they're going to yell at me, which, which gave us a lot of flexibility. It gave us the ability to fail, which we did a lot of. Uh, and I think we'll talk a lot about in this episode. Early days though, when we were all in the same room and I could scream across the hall and talk to someone from XYZ team. And when you knew everyone, like the way that you be that cool startup and bust through barriers when you're 50 people, is like very different than when you're 200 people. Right. Yeah. And that's the that's the hump that was very difficult to get over. And I think like two years later, Platform One is still trying to get over. <laughs> yeah, definitely would agree with that. So maybe shifting gears a little bit, instead of talking some of the, the cultural or uh, barriers, if you will, uh, from the processy bureaucratic side of the house, let's talk a little bit about the tech because you guys both had your hands in all of it uh, from the early days to, to the complete growth. Uh, from the technology standpoint, where did we fail to prep for scale? So I was going to take the cop-out answer and talk about the not, the not technology portion that didn't scale, but there are technology portions that didn't scale, but I don't think it's the underlying, again, like Platform One and Space Camp focused heavily on containers, Kubernetes, microservices, all the buzzwords that you like to mention, and fundamentally those are solid, but the way that they were implemented um, had some gaps, and I think uh, a lot of that stemmed from we chased too many shiny pennies. And what I mean by that is ecosystem, like technology ecosystem changes very rapidly. 
and wanting to be like the cool kids on the block, implementing the latest and greatest and getting the most eyes made us chase a lot of things that weren't necessarily mature. Like one of the things I can think of was like we were using Istio back in like the pre pre 1.0 days. And that led to a lot of problems just with like, like still today, Istio is difficult to maintain. But back then it was choosing that as like the fundamental component for your quote unquote zero trust architecture was a big leap of faith that didn't necessarily work out. It introduced a lot of dependencies, introduced a lot of tribal knowledge. That tribal knowledge sense is really where the technology of platform one kind of failed to scale. Like we never really built things for the quote unquote casual developer. Sorry, when we started, we never really built things with the intention for the casual developer. Like the first versions of Big Bang were like this amalgamation of YAML that you needed a PhD in YAML and platform one to understand and deploy. And then it was marketed as the easy button. And the disconnect between marketing and creation was just like football fields apart, right? And it wasn't until late in the platform one game where the engineers finally realized that we were selling Big Bang as the easy button and management, I say management, it's not really management, but I'll keep saying management and management realized that Big Bang was not an easy button. So it took us a while to align those two visions and actually produce something that was designed to be a product from day one. JLo, same question to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with the, yeah, everything Josh said, and I'll give a little bit of a, a pipeline spin since that was my focus. So like you mentioned, you know, Big Bang was spinning up and bringing in these new tools and chasing pennies. And that was all infrastructure related and you know, they had their own challenges. But at the same time, we already had the pipeline from Space Camp set up. So we were, you know, manually keeping that running until Big Bang was up and we could actually start using it as our infrastructure. You know, as we were trying to maintain that pipeline, we were chasing pennies into opposite directions of like bringing in different code bases, you know, Python versus Angular versus Java versus C Sharp, which, you know, brings on its own problems because, you know, here you are trying to spin up these Istio related type products that are that are brand new and don't necessarily work with everything out of the box. And then on the other side, you're trying to bring in everything outside the box into and to start working with Istio. Then you go into each technology stack kind of has its own nuance. And then you're like, okay, now I got to figure out how to make this job application work with this new technology and the infrastructure. And it just, it, it got out of hand. We were like, oh, we, we can just, if it works for Java, it can work for any language. And, and it just, it, that's not the answer. We, we, we really needed to focus on a few core languages, stick with those. And if you have something different, we'll get to you eventually. We just can't do it right now. And we had a, a hard time telling people to wait. We were like, yes, the doors open, come on in. And then it was just too much to handle at once. I think you hit on a really core point, and that was like our core capabilities were never well-defined and respected. And I think that's any problem in any startup type environment where the people selling the things want to sell the world and the people building the things can only focus on so much at a time. And that just kind of echoed throughout every other aspect of Platform One's offerings, right? Like while we had a core, well, I think we had a core vision or core 
um, message for what Platform One is and what we're trying to solve. The core capabilities were ever expanding, and the work to improve those core capabilities was never properly and efficiently divvied out to like all the people that we had. So like Iron Bank, Big Bang, Party Bus, those are like well established now, but like back in the day, we were trying to solve world hunger, right? And we only had X amount of developers to do it with, um, and that was a challenge. Yeah, I think one of the things that came to mind while you guys were speaking was like the supporting of snowflakes. Like in the early days, everything was a snowflake, right? We didn't really have established products. I don't think, I think it took us 18 months to write a service catalog for Party Bus of like, hey, this huge CNCF, CNCF landscape, we only actually support like these 30 different services, right? Or these 30 different workloads. Uh, and so people would just come and ask for things. And to Josh's point, we were selling everything. Uh, so it created, everything was a snowflake. And I think once we made the transition to, hey, 90% of our things aren't snowflakes, we, we started to make some real monumental strides. No, that was, that was a great point. Um, I would just say, I think one of the things that, I mean, I think JLo and Josh, your answer both hit on, uh, I think the cause that a lot of people probably don't understand about that platform one that we're on kind of more of the sidelines or watching from the outside is that it was a completely customer funded organization, which in the DOD is, is pretty, pretty rare, not the only one. Um, so when you're in this like product market fit phase of a startup, like we didn't have, you know, angel investment or VCs or stabilized funding. All as we had is like, we had to constantly be recruiting customers to keep our engineering team around, which then drives this like tension of we're selling this vision, but the vision is only like 10% there. And there, you get a lot of customer mismatch of expectations, then which introduces you know all sorts of problems downstream once they come in the door. And I think, I think that's why that happened. I don't know that I have a great solution on how not to do that, right? Because if you stop selling, if you will, you'd lose the team and not be able to build anything. But if you sell too much and it's not in sync with the engineers, then you mismanage expectations and build something that's not actually effective that the customer wanted. So it was an interesting experience for for me to watch that happen from my perspective. But I. I did want to ask a follow-up question before we move on to our next one, which is, you know, Josh, you hit on something that I think is super interesting that I've never been able to figure out personally, and I, nor did I think I did a good job of it at Platform One. But, uh, you know, myself and Rob were in a situation of managing stakeholders and customers. And, and stakeholders, I, I'm going to call out specifically because I think of stakeholders as people who have influence but don't actually, like, give you money necessarily, right? A lot of our stakeholders wanted us to chase technology. Uh, but that technology, you know, especially for like me and Rob, and I'll speak for him, was probably out of our depth to even know what they were asking for. And so we'd come back and have a conversation with like, you know, you and JLo and Jeff and whoever else. How, how do you balance those requests, right? Because you do want to be incorporating new technology and engineers like to do that, but you also can't do things that aren't stable, like you mentioned about Istio. So I guess from your perspective, how do you, how do you balance that? So from my perspective, personally, I think I was fortunate enough to know you and Rob and your personality well enough to know which ones are pie in the sky dreams that I should just ignore. And I'll be honest, some of this I learned from Jeff. When you're being pulled in 16 different directions, you can only your time to so many, right? So like I explicitly remember, like I can't remember the exact tool, but I remember Rob would come with these requests all the time about these customers that want to do this and how it would be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And what I would do is I'd always like take a pulse on the actual like ecosystem and be like, okay, is this actually something that we should pursue? Is this actually something we should do? And if it wasn't, I would like, I would just straight out ignore it and wait for him to forget, right? And I don't think that works for everyone. It doesn't work, definitely doesn't work for every organization. Um, but 
that was what kind of made platform one great is that the engineer i'll put the engineer hat on engineer was respected like their opinions were respected if i said this is something that we shouldn't pursue from a technological perspective for xyz reasons like obviously i wasn't i wasn't the final voice that's something we would all discuss with but like you and rob you you would listen and and that would be that and i think that's a super rare situation where I'll say management again. I know that's not the right word, but management actually listens to engineers. That might be a thing in some in, or some private industries, but in like public sector work and in government work, that that's not a thing. <laughs> so I think we're lucky in that sense. Yeah, maybe said another way. I think I think we had a high level of trust and psychological safety early on. Um, you know, I learned this from Rob, and I think it's super important. But the way he articulated the organization to people when they came in was, you know, an upside down org chart, if you will, which is like. You know, everybody that's not an engineer writing code is there is basically waste in there just to support the engineer, right? And so if the engineer has an opinion and has more knowledge than you, then you should probably follow what the engineer says. And we're really just there to help them. And like in my mind, I had always thought that way in like my own leadership philosophy, but like having it written on a whiteboard and like told to people as they come into the organization is a whole different thing, right? Because it really enforces that. So I thought that was something that was that was pretty special that we got right. But again, with with scale, some of those things were harder and harder to sustain with just more more eyes, more opinions, more things happening, right? Um, okay, some stakeholders are just bigger. <laughs> yeah. Some stakeholders you can't say no to, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhat. Um, we tried still, uh, I would say, but yeah, so I think you're right. Um, all right, so, so J-Lo, moving back to you, I'm gonna ask for, for one thing, right? If you could go back, uh, it doesn't have to be tech related, uh, so I'll let you choose, but if you could do one thing differently or change, you know, you know, go back in time three years ish and change it, what, what what would you change? What I think we should have done differently, or I regret that we didn't do now, was you know when we made that transition from Space Camp to Platform One. So you know, Space Camp was the software factory. So they're they're producing the actual tools that the warfighters are using, and then Platform One it was supposed to create the platform. So we didn't make that a clear division when we spun up platform one. We brought those that production pipeline over. And now platform one's maintaining, you know, those deployments for the tools that the warfighters are using, you know, kind of in the grand scheme of things or the vision of how platform one was supposed to work. That that wasn't our job. Space Camp should have kept that job for them. We should have been focused on creating tools that they could use to create their pipeline, you know, tied one on one arm behind the platform one back. We we just could not bring in options quick enough that other organizations could use or get big bang. YAML worked out easy enough so that you kind of had an easy button where a space camp could just go and deploy it and they wouldn't have to rely on platform one to keep doing their deployments. I wish we had made that a clear division. Software factories, you do deployment to platform one, we're gonna focus on building tools that you can use in your separate infrastructure. Platform one shouldn't be maintaining those for you. And I feel like that would have enabled us to be able to go out and you know, bring in new technologies quicker, you know, new packages, new tools, we wouldn't have the CATO pipeline wouldn't have been structured on 
you know, a set of core tools and you, you, you can't ever bring anything new in because nothing new in Big Bang has been approved. So you're stuck with these tools. You have to use GitLab. You have to use TwistLog. You have to pay licenses. You have to use GitLab CI. You can't. I would have loved if we'd had the ability to bring in options for pipeline, maybe use like Tekton. And that way team people, organizations aren't tied to GitLab and they don't have to go out there and buy that license. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Uh, it's it's funny you met that. I think that decision ish was happening around probably fall of 2019, and I I specifically remember sitting uh, out at Catalyst Campus in like fall of 20, so like a full year later. And I don't remember who was there. I think Josh and Drew were for sure, but there was a bunch of others, and we were kind of whiteboarding out what I'll call like the scaling model from a tech perspective. And what I realized is like we need to be creating products for other people to deploy and, and run, because the mission domain specificity. I think that's a word um, for each type of warfighter, like air, nukes, submarines, whatever, right? Like pick a thing. They all have so much intricacies that like you can't really create one platform service that that answers the solution for all of them. And that's where we were in this like doom loop of like trying to provide new things that were really snowflakes for a small subset of our customer base. But I think I had the same realization, right? Is that Iron Bank and Big Bang were repeatable products that other people could turn into services, whereas Party Bus. I think we went into it thinking like we can make one platform, you know, one DevSecOps platform to rule them all. And that's like from an SLA perspective and scaling perspective, it's like completely irrational. Um, and I, I think it took me at least a year to figure that out. Um, sounds like I should have talked to you a year and a half ago and you would have just told me that. But uh, okay, uh, Josh, same same question to you. You can't pick the same thing as JLo though. So you can pick one thing. That's that such a good thing though. We should do different. I think I would have changed and... I don't know. I think it boils down to distributing more ownership, if that makes sense. So like across everyone. And a lot of this is like, I blame everyone, myself included, for not being capable or more capable of like distributing ownership amongst every individual. And ownership is like a general word. But what I mean by that is like, when we started building products, and when we started putting them in hands of customers, there was a sense of ownership across like, maybe a handful of people that said like, I care a lot about this product. I care a lot about where it goes. I care a lot about what it's being used for. And because of that, I'm going to invest a lot of time to make sure it's good. We did not do a good job at distributing that level of ownership to every engineer on the team. There were people who were very well, had very good intentions of wanting to make this thing great that just weren't given the opportunity to make, help make the thing great. And that was, at least on my end, it wasn't, it was never, it was never personal. It was never, I, I hate this guy. I'm not going to let him read the, my source code or whatever. Right. It was just, there was no good way to do it. Like a lot of the time when we were building the bulk of the products, sorry, when we were, like you said, we were making that shift from like one product or one environment to rule them all to like, here's a product that lets you deploy your own environment. We made that shift to platform one around the time when COVID hit and everyone went remote. And I'll use that as, a, as an excuse, but there's other reasons why this failed to like distribute information amongst people and distribute ownership amongst engineers. Just everyone was remote. We're no longer in that room. There's no longer that like super real sense of camaraderie because everyone was in the same room. Um, and it was just, I think it's better now. Well, it is better now, but it was tough to adjust at the time of just like knowledge transfer amongst the organization. I still think platform one struggles heavily with that. And like the answer today is, well, it's in JIRA or it's in Confluent, 
like that never works. <laughs> it's hard to get a sense of ownership from like a documentation page in Jira. And I think unfortunately that's where a lot of the like knowledge transfer is uh, ending up at. Yeah, I think from a timing perspective, when COVID hit and when platform one scaled made that problem uh, exponentially more difficult. Cause I think we went from about 40 people in person to about 240 people remote in about a six month span. So scale alone is hard. Going remote is hard, put the two together and, and that knowledge transfer piece is hard. Um, and I think we've talked about this in one other episode. We, we have one day of orientation at P1, even to this day, some teams do a little bit more, right. But how am I supposed to distill two and a half years of information in an incredibly complex tech stack to a new employee so they can feel empowered and take that ownership in one day? You can't, right? And so that's one of the things I think we had intentions of doing sooner. It was expanding that orientation a little bit, but we never properly empowered the ownership to actually go get it done, staffed it with resources, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that really took a toll on like the people that we were able to retain. Being a good engineer and having the type of personality that lets you thrive in the environment that we created in platform one, those, those are two different things. Like you can be an engineer and hate, you can be a really good engineer and hate platform one. And it just so happened, like we narrowed our, our pool of potential employees drastically just by creating the type of environment we did. Like if you weren't somewhat of an extrovert, comfortable, like reaching out to randos on Mattermost, it would take you a long time to get ramped up to speed on our tech stack just because like we had no formal training on it and no good way to get training for it. Um, and I saw a lot of good engineers just be like, screw this. I don't want to, I don't want to do this and just leave. And that was fine. Like it was a bummer for platform one, but it was probably a good career move because it was just difficult to get that sense of ownership from like the environment that we built. Yeah, it was almost like we had the assumption because we were a very high trust organization when we were smaller that everyone coming in would also just trust us and be best friends and everything would be great. Uh, I think we failed at developing some of those relationships. Eventually, we got there, I think, uh, as we kind of learned through this together. But I think more focus on that from the beginning as we scaled remotely would have been great. Heavy hitter question here uh, that kind of relates to what Josh just said. Um, obviously neither of you guys are still at P1. Um, so kind of in your own words, what, what ultimately drove you, uh, to leave platform one, uh, as an organization. And, uh, we'll start with Josh first, cause your answers might be the same and that way. You can't just say, Oh, I'm just going to say what JLo said. I think I have two reasons if that's okay. Maybe I'll let JLo interrupt me for the first one. I think the first one was the. I think we lost our laser focus on the mission. What I mean by that is we got to a point where we were so big that we had too much red tape to cut through and kind of lost that ability to laser focus on what the customer is actually asking for. I'm trying to think of like concrete examples, but towards the end of the time, I remember distinctly answering the same questions for the same customers without making any progress. And it's always being bogged down by things like cybersecurity which is this like magic hand wave wand for just immediately halting progress. And it's very familiar to anyone who's worked in traditional government organizations. Um, in the early days of Space Camp and Platform One, we were very good at pushing past those cybersecurity barriers and paper pushing. And I just, I distinctly remember towards the end, just that getting so much more difficult and so much harder and not being able to make that sort of progress and just being bogged down in politics. JLo, over to you. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely agree with what Josh said. Maybe a little different twist is, you know, we, we go, we talked about the core capabilities to begin with. You know, we came up with the Iron Bank Big Bang Party Bus for Platform One, and I just feel like, you know, we were all supposed to be first class citizens of each other, and 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 I don't think that ever came to be. Like, you know, Iron Bank was supposed to harden the images. The Big Bang was supposed to then deploy that the party bus was then supposed to run on top of, you know, it, it felt like Iron Bank always had like a separate agenda, getting tugs from external customers who were like, you know, harden this image first, you know, we really need it. And it, and it wasn't an image that was Big Bang was necessarily using. So I understand, you know, that was like Iron Bank's ultimate mission was like to harden images for the community, not necessarily for Big Bang, but I felt like we should have focused on Big Bang first and then, you know, integrated party bus into Big Bang, which never happened. You know, I, it would have been great if you could have just clicked a box, deploy a pipeline when you deployed the Big Bang packages, but th that just never came to be. And, you know, I held out for a while and it just, it didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. It, it just, there were some integration of Big Bang and Iron Bank down the line, I feel like it got a little bit better. But, you know, Party Bus was just always off to the side. We're still doing just deployments for mission apps. And like Josh mentioned, you know, just answering the same questions for every organization that came in, when that should have been the software factory's responsibility. They should have been handling those mission apps coming in. And Party Bus P1 should have been focused on creating a, a core basic pipeline that could be deployed. And then if it needed to be modified or tailored for a customer, then the software factory would do that. You know, it's just a never ending cycle of Party Bus modifying and, and bringing on mission apps and never making progress of giving people alternatives other than GitLab CI. I, I, GitLab is a great tool but it got to the point where it got so good, if you're gonna pay for a premium license, you should just go ahead and buy the ultimate license and get all the extra security. And, and then it's like, well, you know, why are you doing all these other scans for these other tools? You know, the software factory should make that decision, not, not P1. And I just felt like we lost that focus and didn't seem like we were ever gonna reorient and go the right direction, or at least what I thought was the right direction. I wanna just like close on the other point or whatever. I think JLo kind of teed me up. I don't know, intentionally or not. But the last one was, I feel like Software One kind of lost its sense of camaraderie. And JLo and I both said at the beginning, one of the big reasons we stuck around and enjoyed our time there was the people, right? And I think when we scaled, we fell into that trap of we built silos around the teams. Big Bang was a silo. Iron Bank is a silo. Party Bus is a silo. And like JLo said, they're all supposed to be like well-functioning machines or cogs in a bigger system. But I think we did a terrible job at making that actually a reality. And without the people to keep you entertained and challenged every day, other opportunities that promise and deliver on that seem more appealing. And ultimately, that's why I left Platform One is there were other opportunities that had that same sense of camaraderie that I was chasing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you both brought up great points. Maybe the way I would state it is that I've, in, you know, from my perspective too, I feel like we lost a lot of control of our own destiny in some ways. 
when you become kind of a, a shiny penny in the eyes of many, uh, which is a good thing, right? Because it means you were having some success. Uh, there's a lot of people that kind of come out of left field that claim ownership or a stake in that or influence over it. And it gets really hard to like sustain the control and DNA that you had when like all of a sudden there's other people like injecting DNA that you don't necessarily want. Right. And that's not a shot at any individual or, or organization. It just, it just kind of happened with time and it, it got hard. And the other part is too, when you become a shiny penny, like the opportunities for all the individuals involved, like explode typically. And I think that happened a lot too, right? Like a lot of our core team had a lot of people knocking at their door, wanting, you know, trying to lure them away to other things. And I, I've talked to Drew about this a lot. I don't even know how you fight that besides culture, right? Culture and relationships, because quite frankly, people in this area make a ton of money and they can make a ton of money anywhere, especially if you have a clearance. And so it's like, well, why stay? And I think you guys started with this and I think it's still true. You stay for the the people and the mission, really, right? Uh, those other things matter, but they don't matter as much as those two. And I think because we lost some of our control of our own destiny, we we started to degrade a little bit on those, and that that sucked. Quite frankly, it wasn't fun. And I think a lot of us lost a lot of sleep over that. I know I did. I know Drew Drew loses more sleep than anybody because his empathy score is like I've, on a scale of one hundred, he's like one hundred and ten. But yeah, I I could see it happening, and I felt like I was a person who was supposed to help stop it, and I just couldn't, even though I tried, right? And I think there's a lot of us that were in that same boat. Um, it's just interesting, right? Because the system, in, in some ways, maybe I'll summarize it before I ask the fun question to end this episode. I feel like the system kind of ate us in some ways, right? Like we tried to keep the system, we were bucking the system, we were fighting it. And then eventually we scaled with so much success that it like started to eat us within it with its processes. And I don't know, it, it kind of made us change a little bit who we were, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, maybe that's what's needed for stable scale. I don't know. But I think that remains to be seen. Pivoting to a more you know happy topic, uh, which is my favorite part of every episode we've done. Uh, we'll start with JLo again this time. I just, whatever you want to talk about, there there was a lot of weird things that happened at Platform One that made us uh, quirky and weird and fun. Uh, so can you just recount for us your favorite, your personal favorite P1 story? Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to just focus on one thing that made like at the beginning P1, you know, a favorite. I mean, it's, you know, we've kind of, talked around it a little bit after this podcast about, you know, being in one room and just, you know, all working together. Um, Josh's favorite word management was in that room as well. We saw each other every day, the interactions. But um, yeah, if I had to narrow it down, I would kind of, um, Drew mentioned it a little bit earlier, the three-person team. There, there was, yeah, one point where it was just me, Josh, and Drew. We were like the platform team. It's like everybody else is like, you know, trying to spin up and get things working. But when platform one just like first spun off, it was just us keeping the lights on. Like, you know, Joshua's infrastructure, you know, I was doing all the pipeline stuff and Drew was hanging out with us and eating pizza every Wednesday. Uh, all right, Josh, your, your favorite story. I mean, I've seen Drew eat a lot of pizza too. The, the pizza truck uh, at Catalyst Campus. I don't even know the business, but shout out to whoever they are because their pizza is fantastic. I'd like to say that we're still eating pizza this many years later every Wednesday. Um, I'm going to cop out like JLo. There's really no single story. I think every story or every favorite moment of mine boils down to getting to work on cool prop or cool hard problems with friends. And that sounds really cheesy, but that's basically what it is. So like what JLo said, like basically 
I'm going to get a lot of slack from Matt and Jeff on this, but we basically built out the CATO pipeline that's based camp and platform on operate. And obviously other people have helped a lot. I'm not trying to discredit that, but the initial scaffolding and all that three man platform team kind of a fond memory for mine. When we deployed party bus for the first time, this was like when COVID hit and everyone needed matter most. And in the span of, what was it? 36 hours or something. We went from nothing to like, however many people initially hopped on to talk or to communicate over Mattermost and just seeing how that's grown has been super cool. And then building Big Bang. So like when we realized that Big Bang needed to be a product, Tom, myself, and Toby, I'll shout out Toby as the keeper of all, or the wrangler of all uh, humans. Like, again, it was a very hard problem. It is a very hard problem. And just like the late nights are not the things that I remember, but like actually trying to solve problems with other smarter individuals is experiences that I just keep chasing in my career, right? Yeah. Uh, you never know how valuable a product is until somebody can't get access to it. And I remember during the Mattermost days, I was having pilots in Afghanistan call me on my cell phone. And I don't even know how that happened. And I was like, oh, we, we must have delivered something that people care about because I've worked in a lot of organizations and the government. And I don't think a war, a quote unquote warfighter has ever called me directly about something that, you know, the team helped deliver. Um, so it was interesting. Drew, any, any other closing thoughts? No, I'm just really happy that I was a part of both of their, their stories. Cause I was going to say for, for this particular episode, there was a right answer there and it was pizza time and chai time. And, and I think they touched on it. So we're good. <laughs> we didn't mention chai time at all. That's what we're going to miss too. That's, that's the stuff you don't get working remote as great as remote is, is being able to go to the whatever the local coffee shop and just shoot the shit for longer than you'd care to admit during the work day it was almost like a safe word for us we'd come from a frustrating interaction with management and air quotes or, or whoever right and it's like uh chai time and like we implicitly all knew like okay let's go like uh, my yeah, friend needs me right now you guys when you guys are like busy talking to customers it just interrupt you and be like chai time and then we'd walk away and the customer <laughs> just keep left fending for themselves <laughs> uh, that's that customer focus we're talking about at platform one um, <laughs> uh well this this was a super fun episode i appreciate uh you know j-lo and, and josh you both joining us and, and having a chat yeah thanks for thanks for being here Thanks for having me. That was us. awesome. Thanks for having me.